We are live on Rockfin right now. Again, I'm going to double check until that red light appears on Rockfin. Just to be sure, you are watching the Propaganda <laughs> Report. The Drive Time News Blast. I'm joined again today live with Cam Harless of the Mad Ones podcast. Top story of the day is that a Washington Post reporter is shamed into apologizing for retweeting what his colleagues deemed to be a sexist tweet. The reporter's name is David Weigel, I guess is how you pronounce it. He retweeted a joke about women that sparked backlash from his fellow journalist and condemnation from his own outlet. The tweet was, every girl is bi. You just have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. That was the joke put in the tweet. Mm -hmm. And his colleague named Felicia, I think that's a perfect name for this. She is another WAPO journalist. She shared a screenshot of the joke, of the retweet actually, and said, fantastic to work with a news outlet where retweets like this are allowed. She said sarcastically. It also triggered responses from the Washington Post chief spokeswoman. She said editors have made clear to the staff that the tweet was reprehensible and demeaning language or actions like that will not be tolerated. Weagle then quickly removed the tweet, acknowledging that it was a joke and that it was offensive. And he said, I just removed a retweet of an offensive joke. I apologize and did not mean to cause any harm. His words, however, did appear to fall in deaf ears as tweets like you are still misogynistic trash can't believe that the Washington Post still employs someone with such deep-seated sexist beliefs coming from writer and podcaster Amy Siskind. So you can't retweet any joke or anything like that, or you can't say something that is obviously lighthearted. And to talk about that with us today, we have the person who actually tweeted that original tweet. We have Cam here. That is your tweet that was shared by the Washington Post outlet that sparked all the backlash, got you uh, lots of attention and, and retweets and likes on Twitter, I'm sure. So tell us about what your experience has been today. What a day it's been, because I, I tweeted that I th- it was it's been almost two days ago. I told you about the tweet right after we recorded yesterday. And I was like, wow, you know, it's hit 2000, um, 2000, you know. Uh, likes. It's it's still going pretty well. And right now it's at like 8,000 likes. But this whole thing, this whole controversy, I think I've gained 700 followers in the last, what, seven hours, maybe. And uh, it's just, it's been so great. I've been called so many names. I've been, I've been made fun of for being bald. I've been... (laughs) I've been told if I was the only man alive, uh, all women would be lesbians. It's been wonderful. Um, was that a but, tweet somebody sent at you or was that a yeah. DM somebody sent? <laughs> it was a tweet. Oh, it's been so great, man. Like uh, I I have had so much fun today um, because I was just like, this is a this is a funny tweet. It's it's lighthearted. It's not bad. And oh, my God, I the these people, man. Uh, it's I, I I can't believe it went as far as it did. And I can't believe that washing the Washington Post in their Slack channel and in their meetings had a meeting about my tweet. Yeah. And this guy's in trouble for it. this guy felt so pressured that he needed to retract the tweet, delete it and make a f- official apology for that. I mean, that is so ridiculous and absurd that he felt compelled to do that. This is a guy who's been a journalist for a long time. 
who has a good number of followers on Twitter, pretty big <laughs> social media presence, and is by all accounts respected by the Washington Post and people in that industry. Although I don't respect anything about the Washington Post. No, I mean he felt compelled that he needed to apologize. <laughs> Because of this, this is the stupidest thing ever. And I don't get how people don't realize that you can't apologize to this group of people, this cancel culture group of people, because it never works. They're just going to they're, they're not going to say, OK, we forgive you. Not that there's anything that he needed to apologize for, but they're just going to simply continue to 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 bash them. They're going to say you admitted you're wrong because you apologize. Yeah. He should have doubled down. He should have found. You should have gone through more of your tweets and found something even worse and retweeted that stuff, too, just to show that he's a man and at least a little bit because he does not appear to be one after that apology. Well, I, I, I did retweet one of my favorite recent tweets that also falls within the same objections, which was after the shooting um, in Buffalo because everyone was talking about the manifesto and. I, I was like, there, there, there's going to be, there's going to be a joke. There's got to be a joke here. Right. Um, and so I had, I had tweeted and I retweeted this today because I, I thought these people will like this. if They like that. I wrote, you don't see many wall manifestos and that should show how much more work we need to do to smash the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Has that one been retweeted by any journalist in any major publications that they've been forced to? Unfortunately not, but I seriously, this has been so great. People, it's it, people call me an incel, and I'm like, I literally have five children. Yeah, you have like 20 children. <laughs> For those of you who haven't seen the, the video versions of the live stream, there's oftentimes, or every now and then, there's like a, a child hanging off of Cam's shoulder. <laughs> during the middle of the live stream. So he's definitely not an incel. That's for sure. That's true. <laughs> Any blue check marks sent you? Yeah, I dude. know you got a couple retweets. I saw shoe on head, I believe retweeted. Yeah. Shoe, shoe on head retweeted it. Um, what's his name? Um, Count Dankula. Um, it stood up for me. Um, Is that the guy that Steve, makes the, the, he's the, yeah, he's, and he's the one that got in trouble because, um, he had his girlfriend's pug. He taught it how to do the Nazi salute. And so he got like arrested in Scotland or whatever. That's right. Um, yeah, there were a couple, there was shoe. There was uh, count Dankula. Um, of course these Washington post idiots. Um, but what was my favorite one? Cause there was, Oh, what's his name? Not uh, Jesse. What's his name? Jesse Kelly retweeted oh, me yeah and took up i think that's his name so um, steven steven red steez is his thing steven miller might be his name like a lot like a, yeah. like a lot well that's so. i'm sure that was exciting for you that to have uh <laughs> everybody sharing that i do wonder if you're going to be getting messages from any extremist groups wanting you to join them or if perhaps somebody's alerted the fbi that a a misogynistic extremist is podcasting and in, in Florida and retweeting or tweeting things that are unacceptable. What w what was funny was uh, right before I found um, that she had screenshotted my photo and had done this, I I someone had said something kind of rude to me on the original tweet and i was like okay so this is starting to go in a, in a, a the white women have found it this is starting to go in a way and so i immediately went on any website that tells you where i work and oop, it's gone now 
it's no longer there. <laughs> you took yourself off the website? Yeah, yeah. You, I, I'm not going to let them connect me to how I make money right. right now. And they'll try to. They do try and cancel people <laughs> like that. that. That's the thing about that. They talk about, like, they talk about outing people. What's it called? Doxing people. They have literal groups of people that they've created these digital hit squads. One of them is called Grab Your Wallet. Another one is Sleeping Giants, where these progressive activists, they have organized online around the idea that anybody who opposes the main narrative, their progressive narrative, they send this army of tweeters at them and they they get them to try and make these people lose their job or they get them to lose their funding. And it's it's horrible what they do to people because they don't just target people who are wealthy public figures. They target really anybody on Twitter who yeah. speaks in a way that they do not like. And they have a list that they keep and they, they keep a list and then they have what the person did. And then they have what would be enough for them to make amends to get off this blacklist. I mean, it's like it's Nazi stuff, really. Digital yeah. Nazism is maybe a, a good way to put it. That's uh, very interesting stuff. I'd love to uh, get a follow up maybe next week on what some of the meanest <laughs> tweets you've had or the meanest DMs that have come your way or the best ones, perhaps, because I'm sure you're going to get some more hate coming off of that very lighthearted tweet that you made. That was, was very funny. It's great. All right. So <laughs> it is great. I, I do love that. I, that made me laugh very loud when I saw that that guy had apologized for that. It's awesome. And the girl who is the one d that demanded the apology, she had gotten suspended for a little while a couple of years ago because right after Kobe Bryant died, she started talking. It was like within the hour or something. She started talking about his rape allegations and everything. And they suspended her. But then all of her Washington Post colleagues stood up for her and got her back on very quickly so it's kind of the opposite here where all the washington post colleagues the jeff bezos owned as cornelius wolf shirt pointed out they were like you make him apologize what a cuck all right so <laughs> bilderberg is this week we had davos last week oh, and we have bilderberg from the second to the fifth as the global elites get together again Elites representing business, politics, big tech, the media, and academia, all gathering for yet another, you know, Circle J, whatever they want to do in these meetings. And they're going to be discussing world policy, obviously. And here are some of the key topics that they're going to be talking about in this meeting. Geopolitical realignments, NATO challenges, China, the Indo-Pacific realignment, the China and America tech competition, Russia, continuity of government and the economy which I believe would be continuity of global government and the economy, disruption of the global financial system, the all-important issue of disinformation, which they are experts at disseminating, energy, security, and sustainability, post-pandemic health, fragmentation of democratic societies, trade and deglobalization, and, of course, everybody's favorite subject, Ukraine. Ooh. Now, the topic of China, I found to China. be interesting. China. <laughs> Especially the tech competition, because there has been a lot of talk of the America-China tech competition, and a lot of that talk centers on biotech, you know, biological weapons. Of course, a year ago, if you bring up biological weapons in China and the United States, you're a conspiracy theorist. How dare you bring that up? Yeah. Of course, they talk about this all the time. They've been preparing for this for years. There's plenty of documents that actually go in detail about the China-United States biotech war that's going on long before the pandemic ever started. So I found some I had some clips already from a Davos panel discussion on the China United States tech race as well as this China overall. And I think it's worth seeing what they had to say at Davos. Davos. Why do I keep putting T's into words today? Davos. <laughs> Davos. Davos. Yeah. And 
<laughs> see what maybe foreshadow what they might talk about at the Bilderberg, where I'm sure they'll be sacrificing at least a handful of children at some yeah. point. Anyway, that's the one During Alex the Jones went to, right? He went to Bohemian Grove. Oh, that's right. All right. Well, this first appropriately putting a T in that this first clip <laughs> is from this panel discussion called it's on defining the United States in a changing world. And the person speaking here is Seth Moulton, congressman, congressman from Massachusetts. All right. He's also on the U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee. Seriously, uh, do you take the, the, the concern that the U.S. is in danger of losing what we think of as our technological or corporate edge that way because of the kinds of things the secretary is talking about? I think it's a serious danger for exactly the reasons the secretary said. And I, I couldn't agree more, Madam Secretary, that we need to invest a lot more in winning. And it's not just about building up our military presence. It's about winning the AI race. It's about winning the biotech race. I represent uh, a district just north of Boston, which is the biotech capital of the world. Our number one competitor is Beijing. And, and guess what? It's Chinese Communist Party federal policy to make Beijing win. Mm. We have an amazing private sector, but we don't have the federal government saying um, that we're going to win this biotech race, and we and, and we probably should. That so there's stage, a call. Yeah, that stage ahead. makes it look like the most boring game show ever. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> What's China going to do next? Is the game show basically that they're playing here, <laughs> and what are we going to do in response? And it sounds like he wants more government interve- intervention, which they yeah. always do. They want the public-private partnerships, and they use this threat. Uh, from a an adversary, they're doing it. They are not slowed down by the burdens of the democratic process. So we need to make sure we're not as well. That is one of the democracy is always what they use to suggest that we need to subvert our own democracy so that we can catch up to the authoritarian states that don't have democracy slowing them down. And he goes, he, he continues to talk about China, really. They do say some interesting things about China and Taiwan. Not sure the exact arrangements, arrangement what's, of these clips. Good. What's his job again? He is a congressman from Massachusetts. He is part of the U.S. House oh, okay. Foreign Affairs Committee. It's pork. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Here is another one on the same subject. And I'd start with the alliance work, which is just incredible. Hold on, start that over. Okay, so he's talking about Ukraine and how everybody in this international community has cooperated to help them. And then he kind of transfers that idea to China, to doing that to China as well. We're doing a few things absolutely brilliantly in Ukraine. And I'd start with the alliance work, which is just incredible. Uh, the way the administration has pulled everybody together. But when we think about the implications of this going forward and what this means for another potential real fight or proxy fight in Taiwan down the road, we have to have this all done in advance. We can't just respond to a, a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. We have to deter and prevent it. That means not only providing Taiwan with all the military supplies that we're now rolling into Ukraine after the conflict started, but it also means preparing the alliances in the Pacific that don't really exist right now. That's why I think President Biden's uh, recent announcement that he's forming at least a loose economic alliance in the Pacific is an incredibly important uh, first step. I think a lot of our policy early on in Ukraine was all about response and not enough about deterrence, and we've got to get that right for um, for, for China. Go ahead. Let's pick fights with the two 
other world powers that are considered scary or dominant or could do something to us. Let's just let's just keep picking fights. Exactly. And using Ukraine as reason for that, saying we can't wait around. We have to defend ourselves by striking first is essentially yeah. the mindset there. And that's kind of a slippery slope there because you can really justify any attack on anyone by saying I know for a fact, although it's classified, so I can't prove it to you, that they are going to attack us. So this is why, even though it looks like we're the aggressor, we're actually defending ourselves in our approach to attacking them. It's just always the same. It is. It really is. We have to, like, what was the, yesterday we talked a little bit or heard some people talking about, you know, the, the Bambi versus Godzilla thing of America versus Russia. And it's it's just wild to me that they make these outlandish claims that in order for us to be safe, 7000 miles of w- away, we have to do something. Seven thousand like like Putin really has the means to come over here and do something. Oh, he, he definitely does. He'll kill all of us individually with his bare hands because he was former KGB. We did get a comment on that on the show after the show yesterday. Apparently there was a movie it's a Marv Newland short film called Bambi meets Godzilla and Bambi does not survive <laughs> and Godzilla does not die. So apparently there's a film that the woman who made that comment yesterday had not seen. All right, let's see the next clip here. On our- Talking about AI again, the China United States tech race. The future of warfare is highly dependent on artificial intelligence. We're going to have a lot more autonomous fighting vehicles in the air, uh, on the ground, and certainly under the sea than we do now. How we set the rules, the rules of the road for the use of AI is incredibly important, not just for the future of humanity, but for our strategic advantage. Because if China sets the rules of the road for AI. Look at this woman here next to him. (laughs) Look how impressed she is with what he's saying. She's like, you're you're very right. Wow. I mean, she if he wanted to take somebody home from that panel, that's the one he goes to because she's highly impressed with what he's saying. Look, we don't have some sort of intelligence. (laughs) We're going to have a lot more autonomous fighting vehicles in the air, uh, on the ground and certainly under the sea than we do now. How we set the rules the rules of the road for the use of AI is incredibly important, not just for the future of humanity, but for our strategic advantage. Because if China sets the rules of the road for AI, and we don't have some sort of Geneva Convention like we did in response to the use of chemical weapons in World War I to deal with this new era of warfare, we're gonna be at a big disadvantage because China doesn't care about collateral damage. China doesn't care about killing civilians, but we do. And so if we adhere to our values, our Essentially, our robots will be more constrained and we'll be more likely to lose that fight. So we have got to get ahead of this issue and we're not doing enough of that today. So our robots will be more constrained compared to their robots who are child child killers. We care about killing children. So therefore, we preemptively strike so that we kill less children, I guess, might be the philosophy there. I I found the robot comment to be interesting, though, that our robots will be more restrained than theirs, that he took it there and he talked about autonomous vehicles in the air, on the land, in the sea. You know, we've seen these UFOs or UAPs shoot out of the the ocean. And I'm convinced that what this is going to ultimately be, these UAPs, the the explanation is going to be that it's Chinese technology. And it could ultimately end up being used as a justification for a preemptive strike down the road a little bit. But 
we did a deconstruction a while back where they were talking about this technology DARPA was developing brain interface technology where they are testing the ability to control drones with thoughts. I wonder if those are the type of AI autonomous vehicles he's referring to. One of the ways that the, and the person talking about it was a, as a, a DARPA researcher who had formerly worked in Obama's administration at the Department of Defense, and they were talking about weaponizing brain computer interfaces. And she said, basically, it's the type of technology where you could be on the battlefield, maybe you're cornered by the enemy, and then you can just think real hard and call in a swarm of drones that can just then take out the enemy for you. If that is where we're headed, and we are headed there, I don't know how soon we're going to get there, then I believe that while I don't want to chip in my brain, if there are people on the planet who have the ability to think drones over to an instance, I would also like that ability <laughs> without the brain compu computer interface. Yeah, man. No, and that's what's funny is it's like I, I'm sure Chinese people are human beings who care about collateral damage. Right. Like it, it, that that's it. It's wild. And also I, I was reading something the other day. I was reading a I was reading a comic book. Um, it was a Spider-Man comic book. And it, this strikes me because, you know, they say the war, the, the war in the future is going to be fought by AI. And that's a, a similar claim to what one of the characters made in that, which was that the next war is going to be a genetic war. And really, anytime someone's claiming what the next war will is going to be, they're the ones that are currently trying to make that happen plan the war and profit off the war. So Absolutely. anyone who tells you what the next war is going to be is going to be making some money off of it. Absolutely. That they all they all make money off this. They all cash in off of this. And that idea that they don't care about killing civilians, we do. I don't know that I believe that as we have a comment in here also saying they they don't care about killing civilians either. They probably don't. But they're always going to take that moral position just like I'm sure the Chinese and every other country also takes that moral position. They're all going to tell their people that. No, there's no country saying we like killing children. Right. They don't, so we have an advantage. It's it's just not. They're all going to be lying to the public like that. And I think this is the right clip. If it's not, I'm just gonna, I'm going to stop it and play it. This is what I was going to say for the XR. But this woman, I believe, this is from the Chatham House, is talking about identity groups and how easy it is to separate people into identity groups in the short term and create an us versus them type atmosphere, which changes the way that people can even communicate with each other and about that other group in the us versus them. And this was on a panel discussion about the Ukraine war. I believe this is the correct one. I will stop it if it's not. Well, to create a minimal group identity, so um, something positive in the short term is there, whether it has the... Right, I'm going to pull that back because it started kind of in the middle. We know that it takes very little to create a minimal group identity, so um, something positive in the short term is there, whether it has the depths and the legs or whether it's actually shared and we're all actually talking about the same thing when we say we're more attached. I think not. I think so. it is a combination of those identities and imaginings. Okay, that was not the, the one I was hoping that it was, but she does talk about that, and let's see if this one is. It's really different ways. Anxiety causes really different ways of behaving. So um, when people are angry, they act 
and, and, and act in a positive and deliberate manner. In anxiety, they tend to be the much more frozen, and that's much more, more challenging if it's closer on your border. But we're also, I think, even at a distance, we're seeing the effects in a very real sense in practice and in identities. You know, if you look at the, the um, Northern European countries that are having to really reconsider their whole self-perception of their own identities as neutral spaces, um, today, in fact, in the, the Times, they ran a poll on Scotland's attitudes to NATO, and, and that's really profound and related to their internal identities in terms of what might happen in the next referendum. They very successfully kept that whole thorny NATO issue out of um, the first referendum, but now we've seen that's come right back up to the top of the fore to do with the Ukrainian crisis. So even at a distance without an immediate threat, really digging into deeply intrinsic aspects of identity, internal politics, and um, yeah, what you can and can't keep on and off your agendas in, that, in a threat scenario. Okay, so that was not the one I was hoping for, but that is, she's talking about the same subject there. I don't know what I did with that other one. But basically her, her job at that panel discussion was to talk about the different identity groups and the way they're manipulated by the perceptions and the way they can control and separate people by creating these short-term identities, like the identity of people that identify with NATO as a whole, right. while everybody underneath that identity umbrella is not actually the same and doesn't have the same beliefs, they can kind of hold that grouping together as long as they have this us versus them mentality and the them is scary enough to keep this loose group of identities together under one umbrella. And the same thing is true with what this guy was talking about a moment ago. Well, they will kill children. We will not. So if you identify with not killing children, then you should be with us and you should support us attacking them preemptively to save the children. It's always about saving the children and we should save children. It's just that some of these tyrants lie about the fact of what they're doing on the premise of saving children when really they're going in to just get, commit war acts to fill their own pockets, raise their own political power and uh, all the other stuff these globalists love to pursue in their world agenda. Do you have any Did thoughts? You, I didn't just that uh, I, Cornelius here is right. The whole time I was looking at that woman talk, I was like, is this Coraline's mom? <laughs> Like, is, is this the corpse bride that I'm watching speak? Like, this is this is not a I don't. Where do they find these people? I have no idea. I think they make them in a lab. I'm sure there's clones of that woman. She's not. You're right. She's not the most attractive <laughs> that uh, we've ever seen. Yeah, she looks like, like rhyme a of reason says, Rhyme of reason says it's literally both. They point the finger at each other while they steal from the people watching them point fingers. You're exactly right. Rhyme of reason. Uh, well said. A couple more from this other dude talking about China. China. To your core China. question, though. To, to your to your core question, though, about globalization. I, I mean, I think globalization is alive and well, but it's becoming increasingly bifurcated in you know between the democracies that we represent in the West and the autocracies that China and Russia represent. China and Russia have little in common culturally or economically but they absolutely have two common enemies, the United States and, and democracy itself. And so just in the last few months, we're seeing this increasing move towards decoupling our economy from, from theirs, making sure we have our own resilient supply chains. Um, and, and we're also seeing, uh, we've been seeing with China's Belt and Road Initiative over the past decade, 
that, them trying to build those key alliances, all the China-Africa partnerships and whatnot, they're trying to you know, construct their own uh, set of global alliances that are separate from our own. Mm. So that presents a whole um, you know, new set of, uh, set of challenges for globalization. And it's incredibly important that we win this race because it's not just about us versus China. It's about ultimately whether democracy prevails over autocracy. Same old story, different generation, fighting for the sake of democracy against dictatorship, authoritarianism, China, Russia. They hate our way of life, so they want to eliminate it. And even though they don't have any similarities really outside of that, they're willing to unify together perhaps to just take out the scourge of democracy around the world, which is what we're fighting for, which is total BS, which that is absolutely not what we're fighting for when you hear they, they call everything democracy they manipulate language yeah. everything to them is democracy doesn't matter what it actually is they will brand it as democracy they will brand it as morally correct and they will pursue their globalist collective agenda underneath that guise of democracy have you ever seen the movie thank you for smoking i don't think so i've heard of it what's it about it's good. It's it's a good movie. I need to watch it again sometime soon. But Aaron Eckhart is the lead and he's a tobacco executive. So the whole movie is him talking about how he um, can sell cigarettes and, you know, him being an ultimate in the PR game. The guy that was speaking reminds me of the character from Thank You for Smoking. And if anyone hasn't seen that, watch it. That one's like incredible. Yeah, I, that, that's what these people are. They're they're the character from Thank You for Smoking. They're certainly characters. I, Cornelius Wolfshirt says that he's talking about consciously uncoupling. Is that, that's what, isn't that what people do when they divorce now? Is it consciously uncouple? So we're divorcing ourselves from, from China and from Russia. And I, I think that this does is indicating where, where things are going. I, I don't like to predict doom and gloom, but and I don't think it is doom and gloom, but there will be some sort of we're already at war. We're at information war. We're at cyber war. We're at wars in ways that were not fought in the past. And it's going to continue. I don't, it, you, know, you look back on history and it can seem, seem like things are so clear cut and obvious when things began yeah. and when things end and what they looked like. Uh, the reality is we don't know really when they began, what they looked like. We only know what the, the stories were told about them tells us of it. And hindsight seems to make everything a, a lot more clear. Anyway, we are in the process of this global war that uh, between quote democracy and, and Russia and China essentially and we're seeing the different allies and, and enemies we're seeing them kind of break out like they talked about India at one point saying we need to decide if we're going to let India remain neutral or not and then the answer was no we're not and they're trying to force people to not be neutral ne neutrality is the enemy neutrality is siding with Russia it's siding with China and they're trying to push the world into this split so that they can do whatever it is they're going to do next. Now, I don't think it's going to be like World War One or two at all. I think it's yeah. going to be mostly just mind control, brainwashing type stuff, which we're seeing hardcore. In your story today, the fact that that guy apologized for yeah. retweeting your tweet, which was obviously a joke, <laughs> was like you were seriously saying that. Like you truly believed what you said. Maybe you do. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> but that's part of the like war like the, the war on the culture that he felt compelled because yeah. he read that and like any normal human he chuckled yeah okay let, let me let me did did he did you read his his apology i don't know about I, that. Don't know if I read his full apology um yeah let's see is the thing wiener 
Yeah, it's but, David Weigel, I think, from the Washington Post. Is that Ghislaine Maxwell with no adrenochrome, the woman speaking a few moments ago? It could very well be. It might, it might be what she looks like afterwards. They just drained her and put her on a Chatham House panel discussion where she fits right in. Did you find yeah, that? No, but it was – he was like, oh, I, you know, I chuckled and, and thought it was funny. But then I realized it was offensive, so I unretweeted it. So he had to check his natural reaction to that, tell himself it was wrong. So he's in, indulging in self-hate, saying it's wrong that I did that. I hate myself, and I must apologize like a good ally would do. See, that's part of the war that we're in. That is this war because if you create a culture like that, I think you even brought it up a few weeks back about how China is using TikTok to pump in videos that are kind of making men more effeminate or highlighting the problems of in America while they're, while they're pumping visuals and information to their children that, that would make them not do those things. It would make the boys be more manly and take care yeah. of themselves and stuff like that. This, this is what he said. I chuckled at the tweet, retweeted it, then thought, eh, not that funny. So I unretweeted it. Oh, that was it. So he changed his mind. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, I'm sure anybody <laughs> believes that. Everybody knows that he he's just cucked out by just about kowtowing to the Washington Post and that chick who the hashtag me too chick, basically. It's just unbelievable. That guy should be ashamed of himself. He should absolutely yeah. be ashamed of himself. And he should go. I don't want to swear because when they're DMB, but it's upsetting to me that people feel compelled to do that. Because if you talk to this guy behind closed doors, you go out to a bar with this guy and, and just chat. He's probably a, a funny dude. He's probably, you know, he probably jokes around about stuff like that all the time. Yet he feels compelled to push down his very nature and pretend to be something that he's not. And that's one reason why this isn't going to work, because all of these people <laughs> who are condemning each other and who say things and then have to retract things, they all are subject to having some secret recording by, you know, what's his name? Who's the group that goes out and does that all the time? Veritas. Veritas because they yeah. all, they, none of them are like they are on social media. They're all very different. I know a lot of yeah. people who on social media that are progressives that put forward this progressive face as though they are part of this cancel culture they believe and they absolutely are the opposite in person just completely different person that if their online media friends heard them in real life they would be offended online but they would not in real life because they're the exact same it's such a fraud yeah. and a phony and thank you for highlighting it i'm glad you were able to highlight <laughs> how much of a phony the washington post is and their journalists are through your tweet today so i think that's going to wrap it up for the dmb in the XR, we are going to – what are we talking about in, in the XR? Let's see here. All right, we're going to talk about the possibility of troops on the ground in Ukraine in the XR, and we'll see what some of these elitists have to say about that. Thank you guys for watching. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. Thank you guys who joined us on Rockfin today, the live interactive chat. Lost in Spice says, hey, Rockfam, hello. Any word says, this morning completed the purchase of ARR Epic Cash. And is that, is that some crypto you're getting? It sounds like the crypto market's been a little wild lately, definitely. Thank you for the interactive chat. Always fantastic. And we'll talk to you all next time, Cam. Thank you for joining us and look forward to hearing more about some of the responses to your viral tweet. <laughs> talk to you all next time.